0: it's now 20 minutes past eight central african time this is under the radar here on radio islam international we talk about escom and uh the insights that the interview that was conducted this week uh in south africa by uh the e-channel into uh with the, the ceo of uh uh of uh escom the outgoing ceo and now uh resigned ceo under under the uh, what this tells us about the state of ESCOM and insights into perhaps uh, the degrees of uh, corruption that are occurring within the entity uh, that uh, obviously make, allows us to make sense of the state of uh, the uh peristatal uh, which obviously leads to some of the kind of woes and daily troubles that we face all across south africa we're going to be speaking to the democratic alliance shadow minister of uh, mineral uh, minerals and energy in just a bit but before that this this is one of the Uh, most spoken about parts of the interview when the uh, CEO of ESCOM was asked about whether ESCOM is seen as an eating bowl for the ANC and aligned parties. Is ESCOM a, a feeding trough, if you like, for the ANC?
1: I would say the evidence suggests that it is. I expressed my concern to a senior government minister about um, attempts, in my view, to water down governance around the 8.5 billion US dollars that, by and large, through ESCOM's intervention, we got uh, at COP26. Mm. And uh, the response was um, essentially you know, you have to be pragmatic, you have to. Uh, in order to pursue the greater good you have to enable some people to to eat a little bit. So yes, it is I think entrenched.
0: Andre when you did approach the minister, a minister, about your concerns about sinister and, and, and criminal goings on at ESCOM, what was what was the response like?
1: So when we pointed out that um, there was one particular high-level politician that was involved in this. Um, the minister in question looked at a senior official and said, I guess it was inevitable that it would come out anyway, which suggests that this was a news.
0: And is this high-level politician still acting, acting as a... Politician as a member of parliament or indeed Is he or she in cabinet?
1: Yeah, let's, let's not <laughs> go there um, All right, because of uh, Yeah, the, the risk about libel yeah It is now 23
0: minutes past 8 central african time and this is under the radar Radio Islam International the voice there of the uh, ESCOM CEO and our retired uh, or resigned CEO Andre Tereta speaking to uh, the E-News channel earlier uh, and that uh, interview is obviously been uh, the talking point of South Africa for its insights that it has given us into ESCOM as well as uh, the political fallout and uh, how this is going to be interpreted uh, especially the future of uh, ESCOM uh, is now hotly debated uh, as this perhaps lifts the veil on uh, the extent to which uh, the baristadal is uh, captured, if you like, or fractured, and uh, definitely not inspiring hope uh, in many South Africans. Let's get uh, perspective now this evening from uh, Mr. Kevin Millerham. He is uh, a member of the Democratic Alliance in Parliament, as well as the Democratic Alliance's Shadow Minister for Mineral Resources and Energy. Kevin, thank you so much for your time this evening, and uh, welcome. Lovely to be with you. So this, as I've mentioned, is the talking point uh, all, uh, all across uh, South Africa. From uh, your, your vantage point, being in Parliament and also engaging with issues of energy and mineral re- resources in South Africa, how much of what uh, was said in this interview is news or a revelation to you?
2: Look, I don't think it's a revelation in any, in any sort of massive sense of the word. You know, ESCOM was the center point of the Zondo inquiry. It was, it was ground zero, if you will, for state capture. And I think we've known all along. In fact, the DA's uh, Power to the People March to Latuli House was about the very fact that the ANC have used ESCOM and the electricity sector as their feeding trough for the last three decades, and so I don't think there's any any surprise at at Mr. Dereta's revelations. I think Mr. Dereta has been incredibly honest and forthright about his experiences, and I think he's he's basically telling truth to power.
0: It, in terms of uh, the 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 way that he'd spoken and the fact that he's come out with this while he was technically still uh, in the top job at escom uh, anything that you'd make out of is this uh, you know, uh, one opportunity for him to set the record straight uh, or as, you know, the, the, the counter-allegation to that, as we've seen even reported in, in, in the media today, some people would uh, question whether, uh, you know, this is a, a kind of way to save his face, save his legacy, uh, having not been uh, able to uh, achieve a dramatic turnaround, and this, you know, is, is one parting shot to be able to save his reputation.
2: I don't think Mr. Loretta has got anything to lose by, by saying what he is saying. You know, he's, he's now left ESCOM. He's not under any threat of, of government sanction at ESCOM. Uh, and so he's got nothing to lose by, by telling the truth and telling people what he has found and what he has learned while he has been at ESCOM. I think also that that his Comments in the interview about how he tried to take the matter up with the South African police services and that it was uh, basically shuffled around and and passed from person to person, etc., are quite telling that he tried to report it to a minister and one can only assume that would be his direct report, uh, Minister Pravin Gordhan, but uh, I, I speak under correction there. I don't know that for certain, but that's who he reported to. So I would assume that if he found... Uh, corruption or mismanagement or misconduct he would report it to to his line minister being minister gordon and that that would then uh, initiate action on an anti-corruption basis in fact our protected disclosures act uh, makes provision for a whistleblower to make a disclosure to a member of the cabinet and this would be one of those those Types of, of disclosures that could be made. So I think that that Mr. Narrator honestly had nothing to lose. He he is telling people of his experiences and what he discovered. Um, and I do think that 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 the expectations on him or the the, the counter allegations that are being made are unfortunate. I think that uh, one of the, the challenges that any person in the CEO job of ESCOM is going to face is political interference and, uh, you know, you you kind of want to be allowed to to run your own ship and and clearly that's not the case when it comes to state-owned entities that the minister and government are going to have a very heavy hand in in what you're doing and, and that's not right.
0: I don't want to belabor this particular point because I want to get into, uh, you know, the the actual, um, you know, content or the actual prognosis that comes out. Of what mr Dereta says and uh, what this tells tells us about uh the future of energy and the future of uh, electricity supply in south africa but just one one other question that comes in towards the end of the interview uh in what mr Dereta had, had to say uh f- for instance i, I guess uh, it, it's, it's bordering on talking about his own Uh, political views or how he views, uh, you know, the uh, usage of terms such as comrade uh, within the ANC, Uh, wouldn't you think uh, that uh, kind of discourse if, uh, this is Mr. Dreyta on his way out, but uh, if, if, if that featured during his stay and uh, that, that kind of outlook, uh, you know, that, that, that those kind of political views should remain out of the mainstay uh, and just to focus purely on uh, service delivery and the work at hand at ESCOM and that, uh, you know, you, you know p- p- bringing those political views uh, into, the, in, into the discussion could complicate and be unnecessary parts of the discussion.
2: I think it's one of the biggest problems we face in our public sector is that it is overly politicized. And so you'll be in a a meeting where where a member... Uh, of, of the public service be it a member of a state-owned entity or a government department or whatever it might be, a, a government official will refer to another government official as comrade or will refer to a pol- politician as comrade so straight away there is a politicization inside the public service already and I think that, that one of the things that we, we need to look at is how do, we, how do we professionalize our public service how do we make our public service apolitical How do we get rid of catered deployment? Because the Zondo Commission quite rightly identified catered deployment as the root cause of many of the problems that we are experiencing with regard to state capture, corruption, mismanagement, and the, the failure of the South African state.
0: Uh, but but I, I, I mean, I'm just trying to s- say that obviously, you know, the South African Communist Party, uh, all usage of terms like uh, comrade, a comrade has a historical background in South Africa, and uh, perhaps uh, what one element of this would obviously be, uh, like, like you mentioned, the, the problematic areas of, of uh, uh, the deeper understanding of that or uh, the 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 CADA de- de- deployment uh, catastrophe, but on the the other hand, uh, you know, to, to nitpick on such terms uh, when it's part of ingrained political cult- culture sometimes without uh, that deep thought behind it uh, sh- shouldn't really feature, I'd feel. Well, I, I absolutely fundamentally
2: disagree with you because the term comrade is not something that should be used in a, a professional environment. We shouldn't go... It's a political term. It's an ideological term. It, it's, it, yes, it has a historical uh, antecedent in, in, in South African political history, but that it should not permeate our government service and our government entities. Those should be professional entities that are apolitical. And if we're going to be apolitical then we must depoliticize them. And we must not use terms that are politically uh, uh, sensitive or or politically motivated or politically connected. And comrade has a particular set of of values and and, uh, attributes that are associated with the ANC in particular. So immediately you use that term, you're saying, well, hey, I'm a member of the ANC, I'm a supporter, and and you're politicizing the environment. I think that is wrong, and we need to take that out if we are going to have a professional public service.
0: Now, in terms of the minister, Pravin Gordhan, obviously he gained a lot of support in uh, South Africa uh, based on uh, the malignment that he had suffered, for instance, during the tenure of uh, Jacob Zuma uh, but many people have been commenting on the way uh, his, his, his performance now uh, in the wake of these comments made by the director, uh, he's kind of been absent or he's been very silent uh, on the Escom-, ESCOM debacle for a long t- long period of time. And uh, how, how would you rate the uh, performance of uh, uh, Pravin Gordon and perhaps the, the fleck that he's been spared by some in the media, uh, despite all of, of all of this happening under uh, under his uh, his watchful eye and this, this is his portfolio per se and and now it seems as if he's uh, he's also been uh, you know not not, uh, not not providing the necessary political support uh, uh, for Mr. Director at this critical time. So let me
2: start by saying that uh, Minister Gordon and I have a long history. Uh, He was my opposite number on cooperative governance and traditional affairs. I do think he did a, a fairly good job as the commissioner of the South African Revenue Service. I think he did a fairly good job when he was Minister of Finance. But I think he was way out of his depth when it came to cooperative governance and traditional affairs, and in his move to public enterprises, he has been more absent than present. So I think it's time for Minister Gordon to get out of the way. I think it's time that that, uh, President Ramaphosa fired Gwede Mantashe and Praveen Gordon and replaced them with competent people who are going to address the issues in ESCOM, in the energy sector, in electricity, and sort out load shedding once and for all. Because you're quite right. Praveen Gordon has been absent. And if you look at, at public enterprises in general, NEL is in trouble. SAA is in trouble. ESCOM is in trouble. Transnet is in trouble. AlexCore is in trouble. I could go on and on and on. All of those are under Minister Godan's direct control. So Minister Godan has not covered himself with glory. I think that with regard to Mr. derater he did not support Mr. Dereta. He came out. Uh, he's been relatively silent up until now. And post the interview, he then came out and attacked him. When when Guede Mantashe accused Andre Dereta of being, I think the words were uh, treasonous and undermining the state. Where was Mr. Godon when those those comments were made? Nowhere to be seen. So I I, I have absolutely no sympathy for pravin Gordon when it comes to this i think he should be fired
0: what does this tell us uh, the, the fact that uh, you know we have this long period of silence and then after that period of silence the only thing he says is to actually attack uh, a man who's come up with uh, explosive uh, allegations on the actual state of escom i think it tells
2: us that that pravin godhan has got absolutely no control over the cadres that are looting and destroying our state-owned entities. And I think Mr. Director is absolutely right that those state-owned entities, and in particular ESCOM, have been used as a feeding trough for the ANC and its deployed cadres.
0: But uh, does it make him complicit?
2: Well, if he's done nothing about it, if he's, if he's been a silent or absentee minister, then absolutely yes. One of the things that, that uh, was promised about four years back was the unbundling of escom that hasn't happened We're four years down the line nothing's happened president ramaphosa announced it again as part of his energy action plan in july last year and again we're, we're no further down the line than we were four years ago this was something that minister Gordon was directly tasked with he hasn't done it so that's just one example of a minister who is out of touch with the issues and the the crisis that is happening in South Africa on a daily basis. You know, we've moved from effectively stage one, stage two load shedding to pretty much persistent stage four to six load shedding over the last couple of weeks. Every single day of this year, we've had load shedding. That's never happened before. That's never happened before. There hasn't been a day that's gone by that we haven't had load shedding. South Africans are hutful. They've had enough, and they're saying it's time we see a change of government. It's time we see a change of ministers. It's time we see real change that brings electricity to our people
0: and moving on from the the the, the ministers involved uh, and you know the, the, the perhaps or, or we could still stay at the level of of ministers uh we we've got uh, the, that allegation that you've mentioned being made before and it's been repeated in the wake of this interview uh that uh, this uh, amounts somehow to treason i in mean, can we make sense of exactly how anybody could consider this to be uh, treasonous? And uh, your, your comment on the responses uh, from the likes of uh, Minister Mbalula.
2: Well, let me start by saying that any accusation of treason is, is ludicrous. It's uh, Gwede Mantashe shooting from the hip as usual and not thinking anything through. And, and to be perfectly honest, Gwede Mantashe is as much to blame for the energy crisis that we find ourselves in as Pravin Gordon and anyone else. You know, he oversaw the ANC that deployed cadres like Brian Molefe, Machele Coco, uh, 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 Minister Zwane, who, who facilitated state capture on a, a, a massive scale. And, and that's not me saying that. That's the Zondo report that says, here are people that need to be held accountable. So if they're saying that in the Zondo report, why has no action been taken against those people? Why have they not been criminally charged? Why are we not seeing uh, the, 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 the hard line against corruption that was promised by President Ramaphosa when he was first put into office as president? Where is that hard line? And why have we got ministers like Gwede Mantashe, like Fakile Mbalula, who, well, he's not really a minister anymore. He's on his way out uh, as as the secretary general of the ANC. The ANC have a rule that you can't be a, a member of the cabinet as well. So he's on his way out. But we have these people who are saying that this is treason they the ones who have caused the problem, and now they're saying, oh, trust us to fix the problem. That's a ridiculous assumption. The treason is not from Andre de Reta. The treason is not from, from the people that are, are trying to fix it. The treason is from the ANC. They are the ones who have destroyed the, African, the South African state.
0: And while you have uh, these lamentable performances by many of the ministers, uh, we we have a president that, uh, you know, continues to remain silent on these traumatic uh, developments. And uh, again, speaking to the left of political support, we have a president
2: without a backbone. We have a president who has, in the three weeks since the state of disaster was declared, done nothing. We don't have a minister of electricity, not that we want a minister of electricity, but he, he said he was going to appoint one. Where is that person? Haven't seen it. Where are the regulations that that enable the state of disaster to, to be uh, implemented? Three weeks down the line, nothing. So we have a, a, a president who is essentially hamstrung by his own party, who's caught between warring factions in his own party and can't move for fear of making someone angry at him so, honestly, I, I don't see uh, President Ramaphosa being much used in sorting out this crisis. The thing that's going to sort out this crisis is municipalities taking the, the the law into their own hands and going out and purchasing uh, their own power, individuals and, and households and businesses procuring their own power and generating their own electricity, Uh that's and, and we're doing it in the Western Cape. We're doing it in the city of Cape Town. We're doing it in the municipalities that the DA governs. We're going out to independent power producers and saying, give us power because we don't want to be reliant on ESCOM who are unreliable at the best of times. <laughs>
0: and and on 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 the the future of escom uh and power produ- uh, power produ- uh, production from there uh one thing that ca- comes out very clearly uh given from the interview is the endemic state of corruption, uh, obviously talking about the, the political sure. echelons, but uh, going down to, to managerial level, going down to uh, you know functional functional workers on yes. the ground, uh, who we pointed out uh, you know have a role uh, in sabotage and so forth. Uh, how, how can uh, ESCOM at at this rate ever ever be sorted out? So I think the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that. ESCOM's not going anywhere.
2: You know, we we rely on ESCOM for more than eighty five percent of our electricity in South Africa. And so to say ESCOM's going to be shut down and, and something else is going to take its place tomorrow, that's not going to happen. But in the in the medium to long term, what needs to happen is that the states role in electricity should be focused on the grid, the national transmission infrastructure. And we should decentralize or, or, or distribute electricity generation to a local level. Now I'm not saying that municipalities should be generating their own power because I don't think government is competent to generate electricity. I think that we should be looking to, to independent power producers and saying, guys, guys, here I am, uh, George municipality, I need 100 megawatts of electricity, put it out to tender and and uh, see who comes up with the, the best proposals and the best prices. And we do it that way. And we do it on, on a 20-year contract, and then we we move on to the next town and we go, okay, we're now in... I'm gaining municipality, we need 50 megawatts of power, and put that out to tender. And we have a distributed uh, power system, we have a decentralized power system that is not reliant on these massive power plants that are uh, single points of pay- failure and then having to transmit electricity over massive distances to, to uh, other areas where, where it's being utilized. So ESCOM's wrong with that transmission grid
0: indeed uh, kevin the last one for you is uh the, the comments uh about the just energy uh transition and obviously the um the the resistance to that uh what what, what kind of policies do you advocate in that regard and my, my other question would be that uh just as there would be uh you know coal syndicates and people who are uh, trying to preserve uh, the old way of, of, of uh, fossil fuels and uh, profiteering from that, how do we pre- pre- prevent, uh, you know, a, a lobby and people would unjustly or unduly benefit from the just energy transition?
1: So I think there are always
2: going to be people who are profiteering. There's always going to be people who find a loophole and and exploit that loophole. Uh, I think the, the just energy transition is something that let's let's be honest. There's there's large scale consensus that we have to modernise, we have to change, we have to address climate change, we have to in- address environmental issues, and we have to address our energy security. And right now, personally, if I were to prioritise those, I would put uh, energy security as the most important priority in South Africa. So how do we get to energy security? Well, the first thing is we've got to add more megawatts to our grid as quickly as we can. The quickest way of doing that is to add more renewables to our grid. That means solar and wind. A solar plant can be built in 18 months. A, a wind farm can be built in between 18 and, and 24, 36 months. So one one year to three years, you're looking at uh solar and and wind gas is a little bit longer three to five years coal is between 10 and 12 years nuclear is 15 years plus so if you want to add more megawatts quickly you're looking at renewables that's the first thing that we have to prioritize the second thing is well how do we then move away from fossil fuels and here we have to say well okay the world is not willing to invest in coal-fired power plants. No one in the world, no finance house, no bank is willing to invest in, in coal-fired power plants. We had, we had a project in South Africa that was uh, a, a proposed IPP for a coal plant in Limpopo. And that fell through because they couldn't get financing for it. So the, 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 the simple fact is there's no money to build coal plants. So we have to go down a just energy transition route. And then we have to look at well how do we take those people in the coal-fired plants the people that are servicing those plants the people that are are supplying them with raw materials how do we take those people and find work for them how do we create an environment uh, where where they are being reskilled or upskilled or or transferred into other technologies and the, the first part of that is you know Electricity is electricity is electricity. So if you, if you are a, a high-voltage technician, you can work in a, in a high-voltage environment, whether it's a coal plant or a solar plant or whatever. You're, you're able to work in those environments. But if you're a, 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 a coal uh, technician and, 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 and work in the mills or in the, in the boilers or whatever it might be uh, in, in a coal plant, you have to be re-skilled. And so that's what we've got to look at. How do we, we, we move those people into new jobs? How do we find new jobs for them and, and, and get them working? One of the things that I do think is, is very important is that we acknowledge the fact that the lack of electricity in South Africa, the load-shedding environment that we, we live with every single day is causing our economy to stagnate. It's causing us to have the highest unemployment in the world. And if we can address that, if we can bring uh, additional generation online and build new power plants of whatever whatever source, whether that's solar or wind or gas or nuclear or whatever it might be. But if we can build those power plants and guarantee electricity in South Africa, we will start to see the benefits as people reinvest in our country. And that means that business will grow and employment will grow. And all of that will lead to to addressing that just energy transition that we so desperately need. And that is being funded by, by first world countries. I mean, there, there's $8 billion that has been allocated to South Africa for that just energy transition. But the problem that we've got is, is the various factions inside the ANC are fighting over who should benefit from that. And that's what we've got to counter.
0: I thank you so much for your detailed comments and all your time this evening at short notice
1: Uh, Kevin I thank you so much and have yourself a great week ahead absolute pleasure you have a great one thank you bye bye